Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in the heart of Silicon Beach in downtown Santa Monica. Um, please be seated. We have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with um, Brian Littleton uh, about um, the new directions for the Performance Marketing Association in the first half hour. In the second half hour, we have Joe Volsky coming back. Um, he's going to be speaking to us live from his, um, his sunny enclave in Malibu about um, giving us some insight into the recent Supreme Court patent decisions. Um, before we get that, we got a couple of news updates and shout outs. Not all of them good, I'm afraid. Um, ISIS, as you may have heard just recently this morning, has released um, video footage uh, reportedly showing the beheading of American journalist James Foley. And um, I can only say um, our hearts go out to the family and um, just cannot denounce how reprehensible and barbaric this is. Um, and having just known you know, the family of Daniel Pearl, I, I know how devastating this can be to his family. So, um, you know, our prayers are with James Foley's family. And I, I would like to think this is not true, but, you know, what do you, apparently this video footage. And um, so uh, a very sad day for journalism. Um, on the bright side, we do have. Uh, extend a happy birthday to President Clinton, number 68, yesterday. Um, in addition, um, circling around the web, um, there's um, a great footage of the, um, the Cumberland Americans um, Little League team after they lost in the World Little League World Series of uh, um, Coach Belisle um, telling the kids to keep their chin up. Um, congratulations to him. But he actually, his father is the um, coach of the winningest hockey um, high school hockey team in history, and he's the winningest hockey coach in history. So it's kind of interesting background on him. Um, also circling on the web is a great um, video of Clint Dempsey. You know, you may remember him from scoring a goal in 29 seconds in the World Series, excuse me, the World Cup. Um, he actually gives his jersey to a, a fan in exchange for some popcorn. But um, and we'll have some more updates later. But first, let's see if we have. Um, Brian with us. Brian, are you here? I am. Thanks for having me. Um, and thanks for coming on. Brian is the founder and president of ShareSale, a 12-year-old Chicago-based software firm um, and one of the leaders in the affiliate marketing space. Um, you've been president of um, the PMA now on the board for several years. How old is the PMA now? Uh, just around seven years old, I believe, uh, between six and seven, perhaps. And it, it kind of has its genesis, really, it seemed that 
um, the Amazon tax really got the um, affiliates to organize. Was was that a big part of it? Uh, definitely a big part of it because uh, that particular law, as it was uh, coming about in various states, really threatened uh, really the livelihoods of a lot of affiliate marketers and a lot of bloggers. Um, and uh, made it a, a, a rallying call almost to try and get involved in some kind of larger organization. Yeah, it's funny. I remember um, way back when, in you know, 2007 or 2008, um, you know, warning that this issue was coming around the pike. And and speaking at affiliate summit, and they said, you know, um, they gave us a room of about a hundred, and they they say said, yeah, will this be large enough? And I said, you know, I couldn't imagine it not being. Um, what I did what surprised everyone was only four people showed up. But then three months later, when we spoke at Affiliate Summit East, you know, the room was packed. And so um, you know, the affiliates were kind of quick on the slow on the uptake, but eventually they got around to it. It seemed that when in, as the Amazon tax you know, thing grew, that it, there was always the possibility that you know, it, it might resolve itself just by having sufficient states have it in place. And um, and so now that Amazon and a number of other states are, are collecting sales tax remote, is this issue as pressing as it once was? Well, it depends on who you talk to and which affiliate you're talking to. If you're talking to an affiliate in New Jersey, it's extremely pressing right now because they're just uh, having passed that on July 1st, I believe. If you're talking to an affiliate in California, it might not be as pressing because the issue's kind of resolved itself. They have um, forms and things that you can sign to try and uh, get around this type of thing. Um, but, yeah, there's certainly what I would call um, apathy or unawareness of the issue in states that haven't had this happen to them. Right. But just like you mentioned earlier, as soon as something happens, and I'm not surprised that you had more people in your room at Affiliate Summit East because that's in New York or near New York, and, uh, yeah. you know, that's, that was an affected state, whereas in Las Vegas, you know, maybe there weren't as many states that were affected at the time. So it depends on who you ask. So tell us talk about New Jersey then. Um, you know, is that likely to lead to uh – affiliates being terminated as they were in some of the earlier states, or is it more of a um, more complex analysis? It definitely could. I mean, things are are different in every state, and every single company approaches this differently. You may be correct in the sense that an online retailer who maybe didn't want to deal with one law in New York, uh, but over the course of time, maybe now that there are seven or eight, they might decide to start uh, collecting in some of these states, but they also might not. I mean, um, some of these issues are um, constitutional in nature, and there's a lot of people that don't believe that they should have to do some of the things that are being written in these laws, um, especially when they're an out-of-state retailer with no connection to a place like New Jersey. Uh, what we're hopeful is uh, that New Jersey will follow in the footsteps of states like California and New York, who have at least offered some clarity with a further memo dictating what they mean by, for example, an online advertisement. Um, many states are saying, hey, you know, we're not trying to say that clicking on a link on a website is constituting nexus. That sounds kind of ridiculous. But if you are distributing emails into the state of New Jersey, for example, from New Jersey, and you're soliciting New Jersey customers specifically for purchase, then that is what we're talking about. 
uh, we're hopeful that New Jersey will release some clarification so that the publishers and affiliates there really can abide by the law and know what they're supposed to do and not do. So, um, you know, one possible solution, of course, would be a federal solution. Um, but obviously, you know, this isn't the Congress that has a lot of solutions, it seems. Is, is there much hope that anything could happen there? Well, they've got the Main Street Fairness Act, which was a, a good year and a half at least now uh, when it was first put in through the Senate and had no interest in the House. Uh, they're now trying to tie that back to, again, the uh, kind of Internet Tax Freedom Act, which has to do with uh, taxes on your Internet access itself. They're trying to put those two together and try and get some clarity in the marketplace. I mean, everyone's hopeful that the federal government, and I think everyone knows, even even the states that are passing these laws know that really the federal government needs to step in at some point. Um, unfortunately, like you said, it's not really their, their uh, MO to uh, be productive right now. And um, unfortunately, we, we haven't gotten that clarity from the federal level. Even if it does, however, pass, you're left with this remnants of all these state laws, which would have to be hopefully repealed quickly so that we weren't dealing with multiple levels of legalities. Right. I, I think well, I think any federal law would probably preempt the state laws, I would hope, and uh, if they did it that way. So uh, now that you know, this, is, this is still obviously a major issue, are there any other fight states you're fighting at right now besides Jersey? Uh, to be honest, it's kind of a constant fight. Uh, you have to be aware. You have to have, uh, you know, somehow have some ears on the ground in places. Uh, the PMA was successful this year in several states in trying to at least um, slow down or make sure that state legislators knew that there were people that they were truly affecting with these laws. Um, you know, you, if, if one side of the argument is the only argument they hear, uh, they might pass it and say, hey, this is good for business. Right. Uh, you know, who would be against something that's good for business? But they need to hear from us. They need to hear from uh, folks that have their businesses you know, truly affected by this and know what they're really impacting. That's kind of part of what we're doing. Um, I don't know that the fight is necessarily ever, ever over because you have to keep, you know, these pop up state cycles or, you know, three months at a time or whatever, and you got to be aware of what's going on. And, and I, I agree with you. I think you, you illustrate a very important point, and that is that um, you know I always told people you look at look at your state assembly person or your congressman or whoever, and if they're smart, okay, you're you're ahead of the game. But unless you're telling them about your business and how issues affect you, you know they may make decisions that affect your business plan without you knowing it. And um, you know it, it it pays to get involved. Oh, it absolutely does. No one, no one ever expects the government to take their business away from them with a regulation or a law. Uh, but uh, these have been quite damaging and, and, for people and the force. I think neither do the people enacting it, strangely enough. Right. You know, no, I, I agree. I, I, you know, I've sat down with legislators and they're like, you're kidding, the law does that? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, it really does do that. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, but if no one's telling them, then I mean, what can you do? Correct. So, um, any event. So now that um, you know, this is clearly still a big issue, but you guys are trying to, to branch out into other areas and, and really trying to um, kind of 
um, plant a flag for the PMA, you know, not just in you know in terms of battling the legislative and in the legal arena, but also in terms of um, you know shoring up, I guess, your defenses on compliance. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, definitely. Um, the PMA is a resource really for members to kind of look at all different kinds of, of not only say the um, benefits of a performance marketing agreement, but also some of the legalities involved. Some of the major ones this year that we've released white papers on have been, um, for example, the Canadian uh, Anti-Spam Act uh, to make sure that our members were up to date on all of those uh, uh, laws if they were doing business in Canada or anything along those lines. Um, one of the biggest ones for our blogger members and our, and our affiliate members at this point is um, FTC disclosure, which um, the FTC obviously has been looking at uh, especially product review blogs and any claims being made by product review blogs and wanting to make sure that the readers knew that these were uh, sometimes paid um, inclusions as opposed to, you know, simply an opinion. Um, and we've got a white paper on that that's out right now as well uh, to try and guide people along. Um, we're going to come back and talk about that a little bit further, but first we're going to take a word from our sponsors. You're listening to Cyberlaw Business Report only on Webmaster Radio and iHeartRadio. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contests and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. And we're talking uh, with Brian Lilton about the um, PMA's uh, latest compliance efforts. 
And one area that, that there, um, this issue to guide on was in the area of bloggers and in terms of compliance with some of the FTC blogger guidelines. And you know, the FTC has issued a number of um, letters, warning letters, I, I call them check swing letters, where they've cited companies ranging from Ann Taylor to um, other companies where they've said, okay, you guys stepped on it somewhat, but we're going to give you a pass for some, you know, this one time, as long as you take certain remedial measures. And, for example, just last, uh, earlier this year, Cole Haas got um, tagged for um, doing a promotion where if you, um, you, know, you could win a prize if you posted, you know, Cole Haas shoes on um, Pinterest. And, you know, they didn't disclose that this was a, um, a contest and, you know, they didn't understand. And the FTC gave Kohas a pass saying that they probably didn't understand that, actually, that that did constitute advertising and that was subject to the blogger guidelines. You know, Pinterest, you know, is included in that. And so it seems like the FTC is kind of letting this percolate down to see, that make sure that people are aware before they actually do any major enforcement. Yeah, I would say that they are um, maybe getting into it slowly or they're allowing some kind of leeway. I mean, this is new media, so to speak, right? Um, and not all the precedents have been set. Um, I think the important piece to, for everyone to remember is that if you're being paid um, with regards to advertising, they're looking at this medium, the Internet, as um just another way to get advertisements out, similar to TV or print or whatever in the past. And so um, a lot of the disclosure requirements have actually been out there for years and years and years, um, you know, with regards to what you can say on TV or what you can say in a newspaper. Um, and so they're, they're kind of the same thing. It's just they're now trying to help us understand how to properly disclose things on um, this new media. Um, most... People, I think, are looking at their sites and they're trying to create maybe a um, disclosure page, for example, that's on their blog or on their website that lists all the disclosure. And, and to be, you know, frank, the guidelines are are quite clear that that's not really enough. Um, and so that's some of our messaging to our bloggers um, to be a little more proactive in terms of reading the requirements and guiding them to do the right thing. So um, in terms of the other areas you're doing compliance and work on, you know, for example, Canada, you know, how big of an adjustment has the, is the new Can Canadian law been for you know, the affiliates? Uh, it's hard for me to say on that one, unfortunately. Um, I, it's not an area where I'm directly uh, involved, and so I don't know as much about it as, as some others. Um, our compliance council uh, put together a document that, that um, would help anyone, both really a retailer and an affiliate, to make sure that they were um, complying with those. As far as an impact, I, I'm unfortunately I wouldn't be the best person to speak to on that. So, uh, in terms of the, you know, the, how is your latest, your greatest? Yeah, English is my first language. How is your, your increased focus on compliance been received by your members? I think it's been received really well, actually. Um, you know, we had to focus a lot on the nexus issues uh, because they were in our face and they were hurting people. And, um, you know, there's a, always a resources problem there. You 
you try to do the best you can with what you have. Um, but we want to get out and do, there's obviously a lot more. And so there's so much uh, more that our members need, not just with compliance with government regulation, but how to really judge various, for example, uh, retail programs or various retail affiliate networks or uh, lead generation systems or anything, how to, how to judge them um, in terms of uh, their own compliance or what they do or what questions to ask a network when you're trying to choose a platform, for example. Really kind of um, baseline and generic um, guides on questions to ask, things to worry about, um, what expectations can be in this kind of industry. So it's been really well received. Um, there's a lot of work to do. We have a lot of uh, things to put out that I think we wish we would have been able to put out you know, a while ago, but we were uh, basically just uh, totally consumed by these nexus issues. Right, and you know, and rightfully so. I mean, when you, you're yeah. people losing, you know, eighty percent of their business, um, <laughs> that that tends to focus one's attention. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and you just came back from affiliate summit. What what is your impression of kind of the state of uh, affiliate marketing at the moment? Well, I would call it busy for sure. Um, there was uh, seemingly a. Uh, um, record number of people there in New York. Um, I haven't heard the exact number, but obviously um, they talk about numbers like four and 5,000 people that show up at these things, and it seems like it gets uh, more every show. Um, the variety is just, quite frankly, amazing. Um, I, I have been in this industry for 15 years, and I can talk to someone, and they can tell me what they're going to do, and I have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. And that's really exciting because I want to... Hear their ideas, and I want to know, uh, you know, get a feel for where the industry is is going and what directions they're going to be going. Obviously, now we have a ton of people um, trying to get their handle on the mobile space and figure out if, right, um, you know, mobile can be more than just traffic because everyone knows it's traffic, but can it be real commerce there as well? So, um, you know, it's really fascinating. Uh, the state of the industry is is uh, it's. It's chaotic, I guess, <laughs> in a way, in a good way, um, because they're so fast moving, um, and everybody knows that this is a great business model to work within. It gives everyone opportunity, uh, gives a publisher or an affiliate coming into the industry brand new. Immediately, they've got a resource and you know thousands of retailers that they can partner with. Um, you know, without this industry, they'd be at the mercy of calling PR companies and trying to negotiate contracts and all that kind of stuff. And so it's, it's really exciting to see that happen. Um, so we only have a few minutes left. And in, in terms of, you know, if people want to learn more about what, what you're doing here at the, at the PMA, what's the best way for them to, to do so? And, and what's, some, what's one thing you want them to know? Uh, well, definitely I would go to the website. It's the website's vpma.org. Um, you have information there that's uh, kind of available for everyone, such as uh, what you know our organization does. Um, if you're a member of the PMA, you have resources there, including all these document, documents we've been talking about um, that you can download right away and take a look at. Um, and if you're not a member, you can actually download them for a, a small fee. Um, that's our biggest resource. But also, I would take a look at who the board of directors is for the PMA. It's in the About tab, I believe, of the website. 
because many of those people are people that affiliates and bloggers work with on a daily basis, and they might not know that, uh, for example, an individual is on the board of directors, and if you have questions, that would be you know, a good place to go. Um, those are some of our, our highlights. Well, thank you. Uh, it, it, it definitely, it's a vibrant organization. You know, I, I think uh, you know, I give Rebecca a lot of credit for getting getting it going. And um, you know, I told her it was, at one point it was akin to herding cats. And but you really gelled into a very vibrant organization. So congratulations on, on your leadership. And uh, you know, I wish you best of luck. And um, you know, do do stay in touch. Well, thank you, sir. And thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. It's always great to hear from you guys. Um, we've actually had the uh, PMA on one of our second shows, and uh, um, they've been on our show at least a half dozen times, so it's always a pleasure, and thanks again, Brian. Um, a couple of shout-outs we've got um, while we're waiting for our next guest um, and, um, and updates. Um, congratulations to private.me. And uh, they're a company you're going to be hearing from in a second. And um, they're, um, they're developing a, a new platform for search that is um, completely um, privacy protected. And we'll talk about that more later. But first, we're going to take a break. And um, we'll be listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Penguin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing ninjas can do for you visit the online dojo now at internetmarketingninjas.com when you started your business you first listened to your professors now that your business is growing and gaining ground you only seek out professionals ppc professionals an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services, ppcprofessionals.com. Before you painstakingly create another label or drag yourself to the post office, set a course to ShipStation, your key to e-commerce shipping nirvana. Save time by easily importing orders from wherever you sell, like Amazon, eBay, and over 40 others. Save money with discounted USPS rates and a free free USPS account. Automate manual tasks through bulk label and invoice printing, custom shipping rules, and much more. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com slash Webmaster Radio now. Shipping Nirvana starts here. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and we have with us Joe Volsky, who is a, a 
patent lawyer and an IP lawyer um, working in Malibu, California. A beautiful view um, from his office, and um, he's calling in from there. And we're going to talk about the, um, the latest from the Supreme Court. Um, but, but first, just one last shout-out. Um, E! Entertainment is doing a fan voting for your favorite Bravo reality housewife. And uh, one of the housewives is actually a friend of the show, Joe De La Rosa from the Orange County Housewives. So be sure to go to the E! Entertainment um, website and vote for her. She's in um, Section 7.1. But, Joe, are you with us? Yes, Ben, it's good to be back. And um, thanks for coming. And so... Um, how many Supreme Court justices does it take to kill innovation? Yeah, it might be one way to start. But let's let's start by talking about Aereo. That seems to be the, the question that has uh, got a lot of um, people talking. Um, so, what what is Aereo? What is the service, and and what does Supreme Court say about it? Well, uh, the Supreme Court has been taking a lot of intellectual property cases this term, which sort of reflects the increased importance of intellectual property within our society. Uh, television is a $167 billion a year industry in America, and Aereo uh, affects that uh, that business model and that stream of revenue a lot. So what was Aereo? Um, Aereo is a company, uh, their business model was this. They were basically they rented you some equipment. They, uh, from the outside world, you sign up with Aereo, and then when you want to view something that's being broadcast over the air, like, uh, let's say, Desperate Housewives or, or the Best Housewives, the Housewives of Orange County, whatever, exactly. uh, you, you log on and you say, I want to watch this program now. And you got that streamed to your computer or laptop device or, or other device, whatever it was. Um, behind the scenes, what they were doing was they have a, a array of thousands of tiny little antennas, each with about the size of a dime. And when you wanted to watch uh, the Real Housewives of Orange County, then they tuned one of their antennas automatically to that station, that frequency, and then they streamed it over the Internet to you with a little bit of a caching, so maybe a one- or two-minute delay, but basically simultaneously. Uh, kind of same thing that the cable companies do in a way, uh, in the sense that if you want to watch a cable station, you want to watch uh, a particular show on TV, on cable TV, you turn in your TV, and it comes through the cable from the content providers. Behind the scenes, the cable companies are just taking that uh, same stream that would have been broadcast over the air, and now they're piping it to you via a cable coming into your house. Uh, so that's what they were doing, and they were charging 8 to 12 months. It was very popular among what we call the cord cutters, those people who didn't want to pay $65 a month or whatever it was for cable service. So that's, that's what they were doing. That's what their business models were doing. And, and their lawyers had obviously t very carefully analyzed the copyright statutes and said, well, look, if we, if we don't uh, actually pump a broadcast to lots of people, over the internet, but we allow each person to individually tune an antenna and send it to themselves, we're not violating the copyright statutes. We're not broadcasting anything to the public. Makes so, sense. Uh, they thought they were uh, but So, basically, but if you back up, in that sense, were they borrowing from the Betamax decision? Uh, well, or, Betamax, 
kind of in a way, the Betamax decision, of course, said that people can record within their own homes on a video cassette recorder a program and watch it later. This was not actually watching it later. Aereo does provide that service, sort of like a DVR in the cloud. But this was at a preliminary injunction stage, and the only aspect of the case that went up to the Supreme Court was the instantaneous version. And so the, you know, the Betamax version, the, the storing in the cloud and watching it later, was for a decision for another day. It was not at issue in this case. So there were some similarities, but it wasn't all that close. So what, what is it exactly that Aereo infringed, and, and how did it, right? Well, the, the content providers, ABC was the lead plaintiff and other people, they said, well, what you're doing is uh, you're retransmitting our broadcasts. You're, you're performing. There's a statute, part of the copyright statute, says that if you are transmitting a performance, that is somebody else's performance, to the public, then you fall within the copyright laws, and you have to, you have to get a license for that. Mm-hmm. Well, the Supreme Court said, hmm, is this really transmitting, is it Aereo that's transmitting to the public? Well, there's some real ambiguities here. Um, is Aereo transmitting? The Second Circuit said, no, Aereo's not transmitting. It, it's people, it, they're merely renting equipment. And people right. can tune those antennas as they want and, and watch what they want. But, um, but it's those people that are really doing the transmitting, if anything. It's not the it's not Aereo that's transmitting that, uh, and the other ambiguity is the statute for copyright says it has to be a transmission to the public. Well, is it really a public if one person tunes in and says I want to watch this, and a particular antenna then gets tuned to that station and sent to him and him only? Right. Is that to the public? Is he a public? Well, that was another argument. And the, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, who, who handled this case previously, said, no, it's not to the public. It's to himself. The technology matters. Right. Well, it would be a different case if they were sending it uh, across the, the same Internet stream across the Internet to thousands of people and collecting money, but they're not. It's just one person sending it to himself and not to anybody else. So. Um, the Supreme Court says, look, we've got some ambiguities. The Second Circuit said it's not a transmission, it's not to the public. But we, we, because of those ambiguities, what we often do when there's an ambiguity in the statute is we go to what congressional intent is. And here they relied heavily on um, a syllogism, as Scalia pointed out in his dissent. They basically said, look, what they're doing looks to the viewing public a lot like what cable TV providers do, which Congress intended to bring within the copyright statutes to overrule some of our decisions in the 60s and 70s on that. Um, and, and because they look like it, uh, we're going to say that uh, they infringe. And that's, and that's how we resolve these ambiguities in the statute. So the Supreme Court said, in, by a 63 decision, uh, we think it's close enough. We think it's close enough to the statute that uh, we're going to call it an infringement. And so it, it, which is ironic, but for a reason we'll get to in a minute, but, you know, a, a justice that um, I, I frequently agree with, is, you know, Justice Scalia, <laughs> he, he seemed to think that, you know, the, the, the majority was actually coming, reaching a conclusion and then coming up with the, the, the rationale afterwards. 
Well, yeah, exactly. And, and Scalia said, look, I, I agree that this is the sort of thing that should be regulated, but you've you got to look at the, the statutes. Statutes mean something in an organized society, in the society of laws. And if the, if the statute says they're written doesn't cover what Aereo is doing, then you should go to Congress and change those statutes. We can't just sort of take a blue pencil and start rewriting the statutes to what we think Congress would have intended them to be had they thought about the Internet and the Aereos of the world and so forth. And there's, there's certainly you know, he, he certainly has strength in his opinion on that case. Um, he, he likened what Aereo was doing to uh, providing somebody with a photocopy machine. I mean, if you go over to Kinko's and you walk in and say, I want to use your phone photocopy machine, they say, there it is in the corner. Pay us 10 cents a copy on your way out. Thank you. And it doesn't matter what book you bring in and place down on the photocopy machine. Kinko's is not a copyright infringer because they merely provided to you the copy machine and left it up to you. Scalia said that what Aria was doing is like providing a photocopy machine and a library card, and people could make copies of the copyrighted works that were in that library. They could make copies of Charles Dickens' Great Expectation, which is not covered by copyright anymore. It's in the public domain. It's up to them. And you wouldn't hold Kinko's liable under those circumstances. Similarly, you shouldn't hold Aereo liable if, if the choice as to what to broadcast themselves over the Internet is made by the people and not by Aereo. That, that's the other aspect. It seemed like um, you know, they, were, they were jumping the gun. And, uh, and so it, you have Aereo basically being put out of business, possibly by this decision. Because in essence, they're a um, they're a cable company, according to the broadcasters. Well, yeah, and that was that was Aereo's first announcement. They they basically put up something on their website that said, "That's it, game over." Uh, you know, we're looking. My lawyers are looking at this now, but we pretty much think we're going to turn off the lights and go home. But then they said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." If the Supreme Court says we look like cable TV and should be treated like cable TV, well, hey. Cable TV yes. providers have what's called a compulsory license that they can get, uh, which means the content providers can't refuse to give it to them. They just have to pay whatever licenses are set up within the copyright office that they've established as these are the, the fees you pay to do this, that, and the other thing. So then they made a motion in court saying, well, great, treat us like a, a cable TV provider. We're happy enough with that result. So let me guess. The, um, the broadcasters are like, oh, great, welcome to the club. No, no, not exactly. They said, "Wait, no, no, no!" But you don't, you don't fit within those statutes. Actually, just because the Supreme Court said you should be treated like a cable TV provider for purposes of infringement, doesn't mean you should be treated like a cable TV provider for purposes of the compulsory license. Ah, uh, so the Beverly Hills conundrum. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit like that. They can afford the house, but they can't necessarily fit in. Right. So. Um, how do you think that's going to play out? Is, is Aereo, um, will, will, they, will they be able to survive this? Well, I don't know. It, you know, there certainly is a problem with the, cop, just the copyright office regulations for the compulsory license. Just like the copyright statutes that Congress wrote back in 1976 did not envision this sort of a thing, and therefore the statutes didn't clearly cover it. Similarly, the copyright office's regulations didn't envision this, and therefore they don't clearly cover it. There's also an FCC regulation that's going to be involved that could be problematic, too. So uh, it may have to be that the areas of the world, if they want to do that, are going to have to go to Congress and make sure that the, the laws get rewritten so that they can do that. 
So, and uh, in the um, the winning streak of Goliath versus David continues. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, the the big companies certainly can hire a lot of lawyers, and they certainly can lobby. So, and like I said, it's a hundred and seventy six billion dollar a year industry. So they're going to be protecting that. They're going to they're going to find ways to not, not do that. Now, one of the ways that um, another company that has something similar is a company like uh, Simple TV, which has what they call a private TV server, which says, look, we're going to do the same thing in your own home, the kind of area was doing. You buy an antenna, you buy our little box, and our little box will stream anything that comes over the airwaves to you over the Internet. So you can watch it when you're in an airport lounge or when you're outside by the pool on your uh, Wi-Fi device. And so far, the providers haven't gone after after that business, and it looks like it's pretty clear within the, uh, the statutes that that's fine. Hmm. So one one thing you hear a lot in the debate uh, about area are two things. Um, I know I preface it by saying one thing, but um, this, the first is that the decision may actually stifle innovation, and, and the, the second is that. Um, this could have broader implications to the cloud. And what are your thoughts about either? Well, exactly. The majority said, we certainly don't intend to stifle innovation, and we don't think this will. Uh, and this doesn't immediately apply to the cloud. That's for another day. Maybe if it's things are in the cloud, a different analysis sort of applies. We don't know. Uh, the dissent said, well, of course it's going to stifle innovation. You, you just injected an entire uncertainty by having this whole set of laws that we normally understood about when there's copyright infringement, and now you've added an additional test. You said, or if it looks like cable TV, then it's an infringement. So there's going to be a lot of chaos trying to interpret this. It's like, wow, what is that going to apply to? And one can certainly legitimately ask, well, what about services that store something in the cloud? It's basically the same service that you would have used at home if you had a home-based DVR, but now you're simply going to use somebody else's equipment in the cloud. Does that uh, create infringement? And these are questions that are up in the air, and I, I certainly don't have a strong opinion one way or the other as to how that's going to come out. The majority also said, well, some of those other technologies, you know, maybe they'll be blessed under the fair use doctrine as well, too. But the fair use doctrine is, is an ad hoc, uh, judges make it up as they go along, um, outright. Right. Who wants to invest in millions decision. and it, millions it, it, it's of dollars? Got, you know, multiple ambiguities all by itself, yeah. So to say that, well, fair use might help resolve this, like, ah, oh, well, that's, that's certainly not giving us any certainty either. So it's going to be a while for courts to straighten all this out and apply this, and, and it is. It's going to create a lot of uncertainty for a while, at least in some areas. And um, yeah, but, but that's the way technology is. It's, it's always right. Now, that, what about, that's our world today. Now, what about in terms of uh, the Jefferson airplane? Go ask Alice. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the Alice case. Sure. Now, that was a patent case. Uh, the Supreme Court has also been accepting patent cases. And the patent case, um, you know, what's been happening over the last 20 years, a little bit of background here, is that uh, when the Internet came into its own, uh, right about that time in 1998, there was a case from the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals um, called State Street Bank that said, you know what, there's been this rule forever that says you can't get a patent on business method, but we think there's no basis for that. We think people can now get patents on business methods. So when that happened at the same time the Internet was coming to its own, people obtained lots and lots of patents on just using the Internet for all kinds of ways of doing business. And it created a huge explosion, which some people say has stifled innovation. 
And this Alice Corp v. CLS Bank decision that came down from the Supreme Court is can be viewed perhaps as one more, a little bit of pushback from the Supreme Court. They, the statutes by Congress and the Supreme Court has gradually been pushing that back, and I think Alice falls into that category. So what was going on in Alice was somebody had a patent that, well, the Supreme Court characterized it as being a, covering a third-party intermediated settlement, such as I want to change a million dollars in U.S. dollars to the equivalent in Greek drachma, let's say, Right, and I don't want to hand over my million dollars and have the other, the, the Greek guy on the other end go. Well, I'm uh, thank you for the million. Um, try to find me now. So it, it electronically basically said we take a million dollars from one person and the equivalent of drachma from another, and then once both of them have it, the, or we have received both of those funds, then we exchange it, much like an escrow. Again, the, the Supreme Court didn't use the word escrow, and the patent didn't use it, but they called it third-party intermediated settlement. And the Supreme Court said, you know what? Third-party intermediated settlement, that's age. People have been doing that for a long time, particularly in this modern economy. That's merely an abstract idea, and you've merely implemented it in a computer. There's nothing really particular innovative you've added to that. And we think if you merely take an abstract idea like that and say implement it on a computer, that doesn't create the kind of thing you can get a patent on. Right. So we're going to invalidate that patent and say it's not a valid patent. And the the press on this has been one. It, it's closing the door on an area as you kind of suggested was was being abused in terms of the issuance of patents. But more importantly. It's really closing the an opportunity or narrowing the opportunity for patent trolls. Right. Patent trolls, of course, are those people who have gotten patents on what we might call stupid stuff, or they've gone out and bought out outrageously broad patents that maybe should have never been issued by the patent office, and now send out cease and desist letters that basically say, look, it's going to cost you $2 million to defend a case, a trial on the average, so why don't you just pay me $50,000, $200,000, whatever, and I'll go away. That's basically their business model. They, sue, they threaten to sue all kinds of people and get all kinds of settlements and maybe sometimes actually file a few lawsuits here and there just for the, you know, to say we really mean it. Uh, and this has been a problem. Um, now, patent trolls, uh, this decision should enable a lot of courts to say, well, uh, this tr patent by this troll is merely an abstract idea and saying, let's implement it on a computer. One case that's actually going on right now is GoDaddy is being sued because their system of domain name uh, renewals, where they send out an email to somebody saying, hey, your domain is coming up for renewal. Do you want to renew it? If so, click on this link, log into our website, and say, yes, I want to renew. Some guy, he's actually a patent lawyer, uh, said, hey, I have a patent that covers sending out an email saying something is coming due for renewal. Uh, click on this link if you want to uh, renew it. And so he's threatening basically lots of domain name registrars that are currently suing GoDaddy. And that case has been going on for three years. And this might allow the judge in the GoDaddy case to say, well, that's merely an abstract idea, asking somebody if they want it to, to be renewed, and then implementing it on a computer. So this may, may actually affect that case and get that one thrown out. And it seems like it's so absurd. And But the, you're realizing that you know, these guys are basically extracting a huge tax on e-commerce by you know, imposing 
you know, the settlements that they do. And, and more often than not, you know, and I'm surprised that it is GoDaddy, because more often than not, it seems these trolls like to go after the smaller company that figures they can't afford to litigate. Yeah, that is true. Well, that's that's not what this guy did in this case. And, and, and yeah, one can look at that particular patent as saying, well, look, uh, magazine companies and newspapers sent out something on paper years ago in the mail saying your subscription is coming due. Do you want to renew it? If yes, fill out here and send it back. And it's merely saying, now implement that on a computer. Uh, and, and the Supreme Court in the, the Alice case said, well, this is just an old concept. They didn't necessarily even have to say we're invalidating the patent on Section 101 subject matter grounds. It's not the kind of thing that could be patented. They could even say, well, this is merely an obvious thing to do because it's an old concept to do. And there's plenty of case law out there now that says taking an old concept and implementing it on a computer is an obvious thing to do, which is solid reasoning. So, uh, in, in fact, the Supreme Court actually kind of mixed those two analyses, it seems to me, because they were swayed by the fact that it's an old concept. Well, that's an obviousness uh, grounds for invalidation, not necessarily a subject matter grounds for validation. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this may be, this will certainly make it harder for trolls to enforce their patent. It's not the death of patent trolls, but when they send their cease and desist letters and, and saying, hey, let's talk about settlement, their settlement numbers will probably be lower now, knowing that there's a higher chance that their patents will be invalidated. So this is good for business. You know, patent trolls, as you say, they have extracted the costs of hundreds of billions, I think, on the U.S. economy. Well, speaking of good for business, Joel, um, we only have a few minutes left, so people want to be good to your business. How should they find it? Well, I'm on the Internet. My website is uh, my last name, Volsky, www, V is in Victor, O-E-L-Z-K-E dot com, and my office number is there. Uh, or just call me at 310-317-4466. And you're, you're, how, how is the view today from sunny Malibu? Uh, a little overcast, but it's always much better than driving into downtown L.A., and that's for sure. <laughs> and um, anything else you want to share before we, we sign off? Um, no, other than thanks again for having me on your program. It's always a delight to, to be on your, your wonderful program. Well, thank you for coming on, and um, everyone, Joe Volsky, he's uh, a great resource on patent, and not just patent, but obviously all intellectual property law. He has copyrights and trademarks, and um, and, and, and seasoned sailor. Are you going to be hitting the sails this weekend? Um, yeah, with any good luck, we'll be uh, cutting through a few waves and um, raising the mainsail. All right. Well, best of luck to you, Joel. Thanks again. And thank you, everyone, for joining us for another Cyber Law and Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly from the heart of Silicon Beach here, the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica, saying quarters adjourned. And um, join us next week, and uh, we'll have another great show. But until then, um, have a great weekend. Be safe. And um, look forward to you talking to you then. Thanks again, everyone. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm.
The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.